Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Who's On Worst, your home for movie reviews and uh, just general bad film baseball bashing on the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network. I am your host, Ashley McLennan. With me, as always, my co-host, Darby Robinson. And, of course, we couldn't do this without our intrepid producer, Brett Rutherford. Uh, We've got a bit of a special one for you guys this week, actually. We have known since the very beginning of doing this podcast that we are not the only baseball review podcast uh, out there, baseball movie review podcast. Um, there is, of course, the wonderful Take Me Into the Ball Game featuring uh, Eric Gildy and Ellen Adair. And we knew going into this, there was one movie that we were saving for a very special occasion. And we thought maybe we would do it for our one year. Maybe we would do it for special episode 100. But I think there's maybe that's too many movies to watch. Um, so we decided that when the schedules fit, we would do a special crossover episode with Take Me Into the Ball Game featuring the possibly worst baseball movie ever made, uh, maybe, possibly, uh, Ed, the wonderful feature film starring Friends megastar Matt LeBlanc uh, and a uh, three actors in a monkey suit, I believe, is how this was filmed. Uh, so what you're about to hear is a crossover episode with us and Take Me Into the Ball Game. So I hope you guys enjoy. So I think inevitably when there are podcasts out there uh, with very similar themes, they will either become sworn enemies or uh, will delight in each other's content. Uh, And in niche podcast uh, realms, uh, baseball movie podcasts, uh, I think we've covered the bases with the two of us. I think there are two baseball movie podcasts. Uh, There's Take Me Into the Ball Game, which we have our lovely uh, guest hosts slash um, I guess not guest hosts, because this is a crossover, so we're on theirs too. Um, Eric and Ellen. So it's a multiverse of guest it's, co-hosting. It's a merger. I like it. It's a, so we have um, <laughs> Eric Gildy and Ellen Adair uh, from Take Me Into the Ball Game, And of course, we are uh, Ashley Darby and Brett from Who's On Worst on the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network. Uh, and we have saved one of the worst baseball movies of all time for this special crossover edition. And uh, Ellen and Eric have been subjected to this movie once before and were brave enough to be willing to watch it again. I don't know if they actually did or they just looked at their old notes because oh, guys... no, we did. We watched oh, it. Oh, guys. We, we signed up for that second tour and uh, we're regretting it right now in the trenches. I would not have blamed you. Because quite frankly, watching it once was too much. Well, we're now in the very, very small population of people who have seen Ed three times. No. <laughs> oh, no. Because we tend to watch the made Ed twice. Saw it that many times. <laughs> yeah, it does seem that way. Yeah. Uh, I, this, when I was in a baseball summer camp, it was one of like three DVDs that we had. And so throughout the summer, I had seen Ed um, many, many times, um, which I regret 
that to admit. I'm sorry. How did you get over that? I mean, I was eight. Therapy, I can only assume. <laughs> I'm still processing it. Every time Brett talks about the summer camp and the and the DVDs or VHSs that were there, it's the saddest thing that I've ever heard in my life. Because what were the other two? What were the other two? Um, I, I want to say one of them was Everyone's Hero. Uh, the animated one. And I, I, I okay. can't remember the third. I, I think I it was one of the knockoff too. Sandlot. I think it was a straight to DVD Sandlot. It was Sandlot too. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I think there are two of those. Um, I don't remember which one it was. So was Neither this... of them is too good. Uh, you may not be surprised to hear. <laughs> was this summer camp in any way owned or funded by David Mickey Evans? <laughs> For those to be two of the three DVDs? Because yes, it is one of the greatest mysteries of our age that David Mickey Evans is responsible for both The Sandlot and Ed. On our podcast, I think I was like, what other person has been responsible for something so good and so bad? And I think the only answer that I came up with off the top of my head was George Lucas. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a it's a big swing into the you know you get the the very top and just the absolute. He's covered the he's the, really got the ceiling the and the floor. spectrum of like yeah, high ceiling, floors, low floor. Because yeah. I have to assume he's got some sort of dirt on somebody at a major studio somewhere to continue to be able to make movies. Yeah, he talks a good game, I guess, or or something. Because yeah, in the George Lucas comparison, I think Ed is very much in the. Star Wars holiday special realm <laughs> of quality. The holiday, the Star Wars holiday special is maybe better than Ed. It might, ooh, be. Ooh. It might be. Yeah, it might be. Although There's... I will say that rewatching it again, and it could be in part because the movie truly broke me when I first <laughs> saw it, and I've just never been the same since. But there was something about just the utter insanity of the film that I really responded to having reviewed, as I'm sure you have as well, a lot of bad baseball films that are bad in like kind of forgettable or uninteresting mm. ways. At least this movie is insane. At least it is just just oh god i almost said bananas oh god oh god it really did break you it like leaked into your brain it's corrupted you entirely this movie isn't bananas though this movie is nutty nanners is what it is <laughs> yes which is for you lucky people who maybe have not seen the movie ed but are listening to this podcast thinking about whether or not you're going to watch it don't watch it don't. Uh, nutty nanners is the name of this particular frozen treat that Ed loves and you, you uh, see it on the side of a truck. So you know that that's the particular brand name is Nutty Nanners. Nutty Nanners. And I will say, so we we first watched this movie two years ago in our podcast, just about. It was, it was May of 2020. And I remember specifically that when we first watched it, we did not laugh once. Mm. And I will say that on our <laughs> on our third viewing, we laughed all the time like we were not laughing with the movie we were definitely no. laughing mm -hmm. at the movie in the way that you maybe don't want if you are creating a film but we laughed a lot like i also don't know if that's just like stockholm syndrome at this point with this film 
But yeah, it was actually like you do, you go through like the dark valley of watching Ed and you yeah. kind of come out on the other side changed. Like in the a bad stages way. of grief, like you've just hit acceptance. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's yes. taken over your brain. You stay under the precipice and stare into Ed and Ed stares back. Oh, no. <laughs> Did, so do, do any of these things that, that we're saying like ring true for any of you or like are are these the the rantings of two crazy people and like you just can't watch well, ed anymore or you'll be looking at you'll you'll become us in our enthusiasm no i think i laughed accidentally once uh, and i don't actually remember what the joke was but like somebody said something in a really like chill way and i'm like huh. Um, and I don't think it, I don't think it was planned, and I don't think that they meant to do it. But um, my my take on this is that one single actor in this entire movie knew what they were making and leaned into it hard, and that is the owner's son, who is like uh. like just like the snidely whiplashiest villain to ever twirl a mustache. Except in his case, it's a toupee, um, yeah. and he was just. It, like the most abysmal actor but I think he was just like full on into the cheese like he was playing a cartoon villain in a children's mm -hmm. movie which I think is how this how his agent probably pitched this to him it was just like oh yeah it's a kid's romp with a monkey and uh, you're the villainous team owner who sells him for a suitcase full of cash and this yeah. guy played that character um but the problem with this movie um is that it is not a kid's movie it is too boring to be a kid's movie um it also has well i ooh, i hesitate to call it humor but it has humor that is not child appropriate Ed's a little blue um, sometimes like you know some good old-fashioned small penis jokes and yeah um you know aside from the obvious like fart and pee and burp jokes that are very geared towards seven-year-olds it's a movie for adults but I also don't think it's a movie for anyone and so it's a really confusing movie to watch because a movie featuring a chimpanzee playing third base should be a movie for kids mm -hmm. and this is absolutely not a movie for kids yeah yeah it's a it's really weird like I feel like this is the kind of movie that sh should be a cult hit like it should be an <laughs> underground like movie theater midnight showing cult classic but it's not even so leaned into how bad it is mm. that it got there mm -hmm. yeah I think maybe that's what our most recent screening that was maybe a little bit of the energy in the air here of us just kind of like trying to find a way to like celebrate its unique terribleness yeah um because you're totally right and the uh, one of the things that i was really struck by this time seeing it is how it's so mm. piecemeal there are a lot of like little ideas that each would maybe fit in like a family film um, with some obvious glaring exceptions, but it could do that, but none of them actually like fit together. And like one of them is the guy who plays the son. There's one single moment of animation mm -hmm. in the film of like cartoon, like drawing on the, the cell, like animation. And it is when he has evil 
cartoon villain greedy dollar sign eyes and it's that one moment and there's nothing before it like that nothing after like that it's just sort of like plopped in and the the movie is this frankenstein monster of all of these like ideas of something that could go into a kid's film that are stitched together like very very poorly yeah but they're like yeah but like we'll also just like throw in some uh gay jokes and we'll throw in like a little girl looking at a grown man's butt like that's great right those things go together yeah some casual racism yeah oh casual racism sure sure <laughs> eric you're so you you touched on something i definitely it was so fascinating to me was that like that cartoon eyes in a movie that has nothing else that's even remotely <laughs> close to that is a bonkers choice, but also makes me go, why isn't the whole film like this? Why isn't, why isn't Ed a cartoon? Like, why isn't yeah. he like a, like the MC scat cat? That's just like a cartoon character, like literal cartoon character. Why oh isn't my God, What if it was just weirder? actually MC scat cat? That would be amazing. Throw the script out, replace it with MC Scat Cat. Yeah, this is like weird because it's a movie that has like very cartoony music cues and like the audio effects are very much right out of a kid's movie, but it's also a movie that has a drunk driving scene set to a meatloaf song. Which is just, it gets crazier every time I see it. It looks like something that like Terry Gilliam directed. 100%. (laughs) Such a bizarre moment in that movie. Like... It's just frenetic and like over the top. And I was like on Shazam because I'm like, surely no, this cannot be a meatloaf song in the middle of this movie. (laughs) And it was. And I'm like, okay, this is where we're going. This is happening. Um, And this is happening, I think, is really just the motto of this movie. Um, So before we get too far into discussing it, um, I'm going to throw it to Darby quickly just to explain what Ed is for anyone who hasn't figured it out from the cues or (laughs) heard of it. Um, Before I do that, though, I got to say, I'm the only Canadian on this podcast. The internet is embarrassed that this movie exists because you cannot rent it in Canada. You cannot find it anywhere to stream. I had to go into Google Play and rent it in Google Play and watch it on my laptop. Um, there was just simply no way that my TV was going to have it um, on it. It just wasn't happening. This is yet further yeah. evidence that Canadians are just inherently more civilized. Yeah, they, they, care, they care about the health of their people. <laughs> they really tried to just scrub Ed from any kind of digital footprint, um, and I respect them for that effort. Uh, Darby, go ahead. Uh, yeah, this, this film, um, wow, usually we do the, the synopsis and it's hard to synopsize this film. The film is, oh my God. Okay. So we're going to try to do the Rotten Tomatoes synopsis. <laughs> the film is basically a person in a monkey costume, a chimpanzee costume in the worst humor possible. That's the actual synopsis, but here's what <laughs> the film decided was the synopsis for this film. Jack Cooper, played by Matt LeBlanc, could be a world-class baseball pitcher if he didn't keep buckling under the pressure. He tries to keep his spirits up after he's traded to a minor league team, definitely not a thing that happens in this film, but loses all hope when he discovers that Ed, one of his teammates, is a chimp. Ed used to be the team mascot, but was promoted to third base when the owners realized he had a talent for baseball. As Jack struggles to get used to his new surroundings, Ed helps him regain his confidence on and off the field. That is, that is definitely not this film. A number of those things are inaccurate. 
And it does make me feel like the person who had to write that synopsis took like watched like the first five minutes of the movie and was like, yeah, I'm not watching this movie. I'll just they make it up. They watched the trailer. They were like, oh yeah, this, this is just. the vibe I get yeah. from this. That's enough. It's, it's this is, I'm not getting paid enough for this. <laughs> Nobody's going to watch this piece of crap. So I'm just going to Nobody will read the synopsis except the hosts of a bad baseball movie <laughs> podcast. So yeah. who cares? I sort of wish that any synopsis would include the fact, the, the sort of fundamental truth of the film that Ed belonged to Mickey Mantle. And, uh, you know, because what a what a tribute to old number seven, right? To uh, imagine a world where in his old alcoholic, destroyed by injury body, he got a chimp and taught it to play baseball. Third yeah. base of all things. Yeah, <laughs> the natural position. That if you were Mickey Mantle and you had a chimpanzee that you would teach him to play third base, obviously. Oh my gosh. And then not put him in your will at all to have any sort of care taken after you pass. Yeah. Oh, I never thought about that before. Wow, it's even more messed up than I yeah, realized. Yeah, sorry, I'm I'm a real downer. Like I, I like to add the elements of like real realism and it's like somebody just dumped this monkey somewhere and uh, now he's a team mascot. I've discovered that someone has made a, a print or it looks like a baseball card, but you can buy an eight by 10 print of a, well, it's, it's, it's supposed to be based on Mickey Mantle, but instead it's a chimp and his name is Monkey Mantle. Uh, maybe a better <laughs> name than Ed. I don't know. Better name of the movie. Uh, That's a better name know. of the movie. If Monkey Mantle would have been great. The film. Yeah. That would get, that maybe would have given it one of that extra little bumps to get to that midnight screening crowd. Monkey Man, Monkey Mantle Midnight Show. Oh, a better um, naming from Mickey Mantle um, than we got from Trouble with the Curve because that was absolutely the main female character's name because she was Mickey and she was named after Mickey Mantle. Hmm. And yeah, M Monkey Mantle would have been a considerably better use of uh, of an homage. <laughs> well, I just had to let you guys know that uh, Monkey Mantle is being express shipped the baseball card to my house from now on. Uh, out of twenty dollars, <laughs> I had to <laughs> make that purchase. Using your hard-earned money well deserves so much better <laughs> than to be immortalized in those two baseball films. Yeah. I mean, I'm not yeah. even like the hugest Mickey Mantle fan, but like any human being, I believe, deserves better than to be immortalized in these two baseball films. Absolutely. Um, yeah, oh my God. Yeah, this movie was just real bad. Like it's, I feel like it's the special kind of bad that it's, it's like a comedy how do I say this? It's like when you make a bad comedy and sometimes it's so bad, it becomes the best thing you've ever watched. And you need like to like get all your friends really drunk and make them watch it with you. Like there's that kind of comedy. And then there's comedies that are genuinely funny because they're well-written and produced and have incredible talent behind them. And then there's this, which does neither of those things and somehow still manages to have this incredible like grouping of character actors that like are so good oh, yeah. other places. Like I was just mind blown by the talent of like, oh, that guy's like those actors that like, it just like, I have to pull up the IMDb cause it's gonna be people whose names you have no idea. But Jim O'Hare, 
obviously. I mean, Fair. anybody. The announcer, you have Jim Caviezel in like a completely just, just nothing role. Yeah, throwaway in the like the dizzy part. He's the guy that gets cut. Jack Warden and Bill Cobbs, I mean, are incredible. Yeah. Yeah. When we get to like talk about the acting part, like these two guys the, who play the manager and the bench coach, ah, what a what criminal criminal work to make them read this dialogue i mean jack warden to me is 100 percent always um al from uh sleepless and not sleepless while you're sleeping mm. um ox sorry ox from uh, while you're sleeping just like the most incredible like lovely neighbor character in that movie um <laughs> yeah oh my god Anyway, so um, for our listeners who are not accustomed to it, uh, Eric and Ellen do a 2080 breakdown um, of the film on several categories. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know what the 2080 scoring system is, are you actually a baseball fan? Because I have questions. Uh, but it is a scoring system used by scouts uh, and those looking at prospects, grading them on a 20 to 80 scale. Uh, 20 being kind of the worst score you can get for certain skills and 80 obviously being the best. So if you ever hear anybody say that's an 80 grade baseball name, that person is me. And uh, it just means that it's the best baseball name ever. And it's uh, probably like Catfish Hunter. And the other important thing I think to know about the 20 to 80 scale, if you're not familiar with it, is that 50 is average on the scale. However, that's an average major league player. So if you're evaluating a prospect and you think that whatever tool that they have is a 50, that's actually like a good thing, like a productive, competent, everyday major league player. And so when we on our podcast say that something is a 50, it means it's like a productive, competent, everyday player type of a movie or a particular facet of a film. Yeah, um, you know, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, Perfect like, like pretty good, like not not above average, but like it's a Don it Kelly of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, we are very excited to get these other scouts' opinions about the tools of this film. Although, you know, we we have talked about it a little bit and so already have an inkling that the scores might not be that different from the ones that we gave low these two years ago. Um, but the very first tool is amount of baseball. So I am going to throw this first to Darby. Darby, what's your grade for amount of baseball in this film? There's a lot of baseball things in this movie but actual mm. like I, I i put this at a 40 which is probably going to be the highest score i give any of these categories but wow. i give it a 40 because there is a lot of like pretty much every set is either at their apartment or on the baseball diamond and maybe sometimes in the locker room so there is a lot of baseball stuff the biggest problem with this which it really should probably be like a 30 or a 35, but I'm going to be generous because I don't want to completely demolish this film right off the gate. But <laughs> I'm going to put it at a 40 because there's a lot of baseball and it's not the worst shot baseball film I've ever seen. It's not yeah. quite the scout where you're just showing everything zoomed in and nobody can throw. So they're just like the quickest of cuts. There is quite a lot of that, but there's at least some like clear baseball happening. Uh, it's all just segments though. There's no like, until the very end, there's not like a single setup or like an inning or a play that's like, we know what's happening or set up in the game. So it's just, just like somebody's swinging a bat, somebody's catching, somebody's th like, there's just no, it's very hard to tell like what's anything that's happening. It's just clips of what baseball kind of looks like. So 
I'm going to be exceedingly generous and put it at a 40. That is totally fair. And I think also goes very, uh, very much to the heart of a sort of philosophical discussion that Ellen Adair and I kind of have on an ongoing basis with Take Me Into the Ball Game, which is sort of like, well, what what qualifies as baseball? And um, it can get very tricky, very quick with something like this, where you're like, I mean, there's baseball stuff, but is it baseball? <laughs> Ashley, what's your score for amount of baseball? Uh, I probably would go a little less generous. I'd probably say about a 35. Like it is primarily set at a baseball stadium. You do see a fair amount of baseball being played. But I think it focuses a lot too much on like what goes on in the locker room and discussions in the dugout and the peripheral baseball minutiae and way too many scenes of very, very angry baseball fans. Like it focuses very heavily on how aggressive a minor league baseball crowd can get. And it made me feel very anxious. Um, but yeah, I think aside from tons of close-ups of Matt LeBlanc looking very nervous and a little sweaty and, you know, a lot of non-curveball calls for a movie where he throws far too many curveballs. Yeah, there's not a ton <laughs> of like legit yes. baseball to be watched. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brett, what what's your uh, opinion on this? I, I had it at a forty again. Yeah, there were, we were at the ballpark a lot in this movie. Um, Ashley mentioned his curveball. I don't know if we're going to grade his his curveball on the twenty eighty scale because I'm not even sure what number I'd put on that. But yeah, there was a good amount of baseball. I think we'll touch next on the baseball accuracy, uh, but there was yes. plenty of baseball. Yeah, I, I was a 45 on this and I I think I was too. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's partly that there are so many baseball movies with like really no baseball whatsoever mm -hmm. that it that I felt like it was obviously less than a competent everyday amount of baseball, but still so much better than other ones where you're really scrounging for the last little scrap of baseball. Yeah, like we've seen we've seen movies that are quote quote unquote baseball movies that have like 10 minutes or less of like actual yeah. baseball in them and uh yeah so so in con contrast to that this does pretty well but i think also we were like oh it's gonna be a long episode <laughs> like let's start in a slightly more generous place just like darby said i think the problem too is that we just recently watched the um the newer version of bad news bears and uh -huh. um there is an inning of baseball that is easily played in real time in <laughs> like a, a game of baseball that i think is played in real time in there and that we just sat there and watched like a little league baseball game happen for an hour and we were like, sir, no, absolutely not. This is not as interesting as you think it is. I understand you made dazed and confused, but like, <laughs> let's cut a little bit here. Amazing. So it's just so much. There was so much that this was like, oh, okay. Yeah. This is like a normal amount. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Actually, I, I don't know. Maybe that sounds like that would be, that would be up my alley. I recall that the, we have not seen the new Bad News Bears, but the, the original one had a fairly high amount of baseball score, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. The, the remake. It's, yeah. We have not yes. done it as part of the podcast and I haven't seen it. So it's not good. It's not the worst. Compared to this though, my God, I would watch that eight times in a row compared to having to watch another version of this one. 
Oh, sure. Sure. That's why there's unlikely to be a remake of Ed, thankfully. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, as already teased, we're going to move along to our next tool, which is baseball accuracy. And Brett, since you mentioned this already, would you like to take away with some of your baseball accuracy thoughts about this film? Uh, Yeah, this was a 20. Um, I couldn't figure (laughs) out whether or not this was an affiliate team or an independent league team and what they were trying to win and if Mm -hmm. there was a championship game and... The baseball, while there was a good bit of it, uh, none of it was particularly good, and I wasn't quite sure. What is cut day? This isn't spring training. This is like, what is cut day? I had no clue what that was. It, like Usually, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it does exist in independent ball, but um, not something that I am privy to. And uh, yeah, I, quite a few eye rolls throughout the movie. Right, you mean that regular baseball players don't get a literal pink slip in their locker? Oh yes, oh. The season instead of actually having a direct communication conversation with their team manager. That was brutal. I mean, I I felt genuinely sad for that player when he was cut. That was the only emotion. The one. I, I mean, felt. also it's Jim Caviezel, one guy. and it's just Jim Caviezel. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, it's one dude. Imagine being the guy that gets cut over the guy that literally only gives up home runs, like. <laughs> And then, he, then Matt LeBlanc, he's going home a hero. And I'm like, no, he's not. He's going to go home and work at Dick's Sporting Goods and nobody will ever remember that he did this. Also, like, like if it's going to be just one person, Chubb, that's the, the manager, like, call him into the office. Like, we don't need to do a single pink slip. We don't need to, to have that tradition in place when you're just getting rid of one player. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, as discussed, it's like the original sin of the scene in minor league, which makes sense because it's about whether or not you're going to play at the major league level or whether mm. you're going to get demoted to the minors. But they're already a ball. Like, I mean, that's why it has to be cut day and can't be like demotion day because mm. like you're on this team or you're not in the organization, but yeah, it just, it, it, that's not how it would happen. Yeah. So yes, a major baseball accuracy problem. And I, I agree a problem in general with like the sort of the minor league ownership. Like, is this, is this actually part of a major league team? It's yeah. astonishing to me how like one baseball movie in the history of all baseball movies correctly understands the relationship between a major league team and its minor league affiliates and like every other movie even movies that are pretty smart seem to fundamentally misunderstand this and i'm like why is it so hard to understand yeah it's a good question i don't know <laughs> okay ashley what's your baseball accuracy score i'm gonna be slightly kinder than brett and i'll say a 25 uh but only because i've seen the scout um and i can't grade this that badly because it might be the worst uh, example of 
getting it wrong on every front that I've ever seen. When we did our initial episode on ad, I was like, oh, well, if we do the scout someday, like that's the only thing I can think of that's maybe worse than this, at least in terms of individual moments. I mean, like throwing an immaculate game in your debut at a World Series game is pretty hard to top. <laughs> yes. There, there's just so much that's like inherently wrong in a movie that takes itself as seriously as the scout does. Yeah, um, that's, that's my, a very good point. Yeah. I have problems with it. But I, one thing I loved about this is that um, Matt LeBlanc's character throws the end of the season kind of game, gives up four runs. Yeah, not a great game. Not having like, a, not a game you keep him into the ninth. He's, and Tommy really Lasorda is like, give him whatever he wants. I need him in LA tomorrow. And I'm like, Tommy, this is an A-level baseball game. And this guy gave up four runs. And <laughs> it only didn't give up the game-winning home run because it was foul and doesn't listen to signals and is only good because of a monkey. I question yeah. Tommy Lasorda's ability at scouting, which is probably why he had people do it for him. Really living <laughs> off of the Mike Piazza pick. I'm like, if he was having an immaculate game or he was like throwing a Maddox or he was doing something worth like getting excited about, then I would have been like, okay, yeah, good for him. You know, he gets to yeah. go up and, and like take a sip of coffee and then get obliterated in the only game he ever plays in the majors. The only other thing that I can think of is that like somehow in ways that are unwritten and just completely left to your imagination, the Dodgers organization in the world of this film is so like tragic and it's the completely tigers of this season basically they just have no pitchers left everybody's on the il they're like that guy he'll do bring him to me oh this single a pitcher who threw one not great game that tommy lasorda saw he's in oh boy those poor dodgers they must have it bad the 24 the tommy john surgeries in a row that led to the yeah. situation oh yeah throwing 125 <laughs> let's throw that onto the accuracy fire Yes. Throwing 100 for nine innings. <laughs> he, he, his arm literally should be falling off. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. The yeah. pitch, that was one of the few things the first time that we watched the movie that like got a rise out of us <laughs> is that the first time that you see that he's thrown like 114 mile an hour fastball, we were like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that old commercial they had with Clayton Kershaw throwing and it was the radar gun that just said, wow. <laughs> and it was, this is where the film could have gotten had some fun is if the radar gun just said like had like the like the the oogly eyes well from that's like what the, it did uh, in the very beginning like the when he came like, out in his that. jeans and cowboy boots to uh, like to do his like trial run where he claims and the cleanest john deere hat i've ever claims seen claims to have never yeah. played baseball even in a minor league game and yet he's like it's gonna be a good day because i'm playing baseball and i'm like well, I need to, eh. it's his dream but he's never done it before but he's good at it and yeah, yeah he knows how to throw like no you don't but yeah coming up in the radar gun and they're like have the cop out there and he's that's the level of goofy that this movie should have done the whole way through and then i think it could have been something ridiculous but yeah, I'm not going to like steal. Darby still has to rate the accuracy of this. Yes, yeah. Darby, what's your what's your grade? Uh, I'm going to go 25 as well for actually very same reason Ashley said is that the scout exists just to give it one tiny bit of a floor for an immaculate 
game plus adding to the roster like there's there were some other things with the scout where how does he get onto the roster with that like you're just adding a player mid-series I whatever but this yeah and he's like he's like a, a college freshman or something in the scout it's like you couldn't you can't do that he's it's, yeah yeah, no, he's getting like, like a contract right out of the gate like it, it yeah. there, there's like a million yeah that one that one has to be the 20 that can can be the nice solid floor but oh boy yeah ed rock solid 25 like that is yeah. horrible horrible 100, 125 mile an hour is just like a physically impossible like scientifically impossible pitch and it doesn't need to be that fast because if you could do that especially in the minor leagues you yeah you shouldn't throw your curve you should just only throw that fastball because nobody would be able to hit it. And that yes. poor catcher would die. <laughs> yes, this is, I mean, I feel like, and it becomes a storytelling problem as well. But like one of my main issues with this film was basically confusion surrounding his pitching mix. Yeah. Is like, why is he known as Deuce if he has a 125 mile an hour fastball? And why is he insisting on throwing this curveball if he has a 125 mile an hour fastball? Now, these were things that like 2020 Ellen Adair thought, and I feel slightly differently now that we've seen Hunter Green. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Maybe it's just really, really super straight of 125 mm -hmm. mile an hour fastball. I mean, if it were 125 miles an hour, I'm sure it would be incredibly effective. Um, nevertheless, I mean, also Jordan Hicks. I'm like, why Jordan Hicks? Like, why does it's so fast? Why is it not more effective? So maybe this film was just actually that smart that it was like, you Predictive. know what? Sometimes <laughs> velocity isn't everything. There, there's a secret little lesson there of just all velo you need. He has no rise. There's no spin rate on that fastball. It's just a flat plane well that's what i liked his curveball it, it's not very fast and it doesn't curve very well i think that was the line on it i'm like okay so it's just great like a stuff. great stuff fast, yeah it, it yeah it doesn't it doesn't and i mean i was particularly annoyed by a couple of moments where he like shows that he's able to i don't even know what the right word would be in this situation like quote command his curveball in non-game situations by like throwing it straight <laughs> through a tire or like turning off the faucet to yeah. and i'm like we're like yeah, running the entire farm apparently yeah and i'm like you know what that's not a curveball what you just threw is a fastball it was perfectly straight there was no break on that ball so yes so much confusion about his pitch pitching mix really an issue for me <laughs> um on the other hand i gave this a 30 Ooh. also i can't remember what i did i think it was like 30 or maybe i even went 35 yeah because for but... me the 20 is the bench warmers actually that's the lowest Ooh. of the low because i'm like you can't play baseball with three people you can't have a three-person baseball team <laughs> and also like for me a little bit like there was enough stuff that i was like well at least this is some like i can at least recognize this as like a baseball game Right. Like, yeah. Like if it were the same thing, but it were, uh, you know, on a hockey rink or something, then it would be. <laughs> Nobody's batting out of order that we could see. There's no uh, pitchers don't come in and out. Like there, there is some things that they don't fail with. I don't know why the the reliever went out to the mound. Uh huh. When he was trying to get the last from the dugout. Also, where from is the, the bullpen? Yeah. yeah. Is he gonna get warm? Is he just gonna go in like loose? I don't. But yeah, it's it's bad. It's bad. But yeah. 
it's that's also fair. One that is fair that's fair my least favorite baseball movie tropes is the like pitcher goes eight and two thirds innings and is a failure you know like oh, i'm just gonna have to take you out for this last out you know and it's like oh no you pitched eight and two thirds innings what a failure yeah. I hate 26 it. 26 outs, you loser. You get a statue <laughs> you built loser. for you if you do that for Get the out race. of here. <laughs> well, even in, even in this, because in this film, when Tommy Lasorda is like, uh, get him up to LA. Like, you've seen how bad our team is. I need a pitcher or whatever. Um, he, he, I think he only says that after that last out. Yep. Like, because he's on the fence beforehand. Not sure. <laughs> but you can pitch yep. a complete game. All right. Yeah. You might they have gave a place. up four hits, but. He doesn't need a reliever. That's how bad our bullpen is. Bring him up. You know what? Actually, I will give credit to this. I actually might bump mine up to 30. And it's going to be for one reason. And I just just remembered this. The last batter that's coming up, the guy that can like hit, that hit him deep earlier in the game, who's like the best player on the other team. Are you referring to up, Crush, Crush Bunyan? Oh, Crush. Crush yes, Bunyan. Thank you. Solid, <laughs> solid name. Now, I was immediately... I was immediately thinking, well, this is so stupid. Why isn't he just playing? Why is he pinch hitting? This makes no sense. But then Jim O'Hare, the announcer, mentions how he's been injured and hasn't no play, but he, he's kind of like gutting it out and they're going to use him. So I'm like, oh, ah, you had added enough context to say why he's pinch hitting and not batting, you know, yeah. second or cleanup. Uh, I was like, okay, that that was at least some care that you know the general gist of why this guy would not just be appearing at this point. You could have avoided that and just had him be at that part of the lineup because whatever. But still, I was I do I will give them the slide. I'm really reaching for credit. I don't know why. I have no idea why this movie was so atrocious. Mm-hmm. I should not be trying, but they did at least put that in there that explained that trope which a lot of movies don't what a lot of baseball movies do not do they will just sort of have the the batter be at every part of the game no matter what you need them to be whether that makes any logical internal sense so i i believe you said you would be doing major league two soon and major league two definitely does that it's definitely a moment where i'm like who's actually who was in the starting lineup of this game what is the order yeah yeah i appreciate that nobody's baseball accuracy problem at least that they came out of the gate with was and chimpanzee play baseball look we've watched air bud seventh inning fetch. nothing in the rule um, <laughs> I mean, which and that is actually fundamentally like the entire like like crux of the first air bud movie is that nothing in the rule book says dog can't play basketball and that is how this movie works as well it's like no because he's got to be a homo sapien I could totally buy that. That's the least of my baseball issues with this movie was Ed. Same. 100% of this. Yeah, I was good. I didn't care. I'm like, yep. All right. Monkey's playing third base. At least, at least they gave him like a position, right? Like it wasn't like monkey's going to be our star starting pitcher or like monkey's going to like hit every home run in this game. It's like, he's playing third because he can jump real high and throw far. I'm like, I'm okay. I could see it. Yeah. And we usually give a pass to something if it's like kind of baked into the premise of the film. If it's like this film exists because of this thing, then I will give it a pass. It's all of the ancillary stuff where I'm like, couldn't you have talked to somebody who knows anything about baseball? Uh, although something that certainly was a factor for me is the like, 
fact that Ed can throw so fast that he burns a hole through the first baseman's glove. And I was just definitely like, is it not enough for our fascination and delight that a chimpanzee can play third base? Does he really have to throw so fast that it's burning a hole through people's gloves? Like someone could get hurt and everybody on the team thinks it's super cool. Yeah. I would be terrified. Yes. There were a few moments Unsafe like working that where like, they almost like the, the, like the line drive down third base almost took off like Chubb's head. And everyone's all just like, hey, look, the monkey caught a ball. And I'm like, your manager almost just died. Like, yes. nobody is really caring about this. Like, oh, and gosh. they like, the balls are going out into the field. They like knock the guys to pay off. I'm like, there are so many scenes in this movie where like a lawsuit was just hovering over that team, <laughs> like just on the cusp of ending them entirely. And that wasn't even live BP yet. The guy was hitting Fungo and he was just about to take the coach out. Like right yeah. at the start of infield and outfield. <laughs> how how are you running your practices here? Well, he just sends everybody home because they're drunks. So and no fines. There we go. Let's knock it down another couple points. He did not find a single person on that team for coming hungover to a practice. I'm like five hundred dollar fines all around. I don't care what your salary is. And actually, just the reverse. Deuce is like. I'm going to go out there and throw some balls anyway, because baseball's my job. And he's like, no, you need to learn how to have fun. Uh, uh. It's, it's such a horrible trope. Such a horrible trope. And also, it doesn't make any sense. Like, any manager would be like, oh, yeah, well, if you're my one player who decides that you want to practice on the day that we have practice, which, by the way, like, practice? Like, wouldn't you just have a game or not have a game? Anyway, yeah, that was that was also a baseball accuracy problem that I had. Yeah. Well, we've been kind of talking about storytelling. Yes. So let's maybe we can make it official. It's been it's been long enough. I yes. think we can. We've been toying with it, but yeah. let's let's do it. Let's let's do Learning it. Let's it do it. Ashley, <laughs> what Ooh. is your storytelling grade? Uh, 20. 20. Uh, it's bad. It's real bad. Because Eric kind of hinted at this at the beginning, in that like there's like kind of, it's like a string of vignettes almost. Like mm. it's not a story in as much as like i guess the base of it is is that you know deuce has to go and pick up a monkey at the bus station and then the monkey becomes his best friend which is not a story that's a short story maybe written by mm -hmm. a ninth grader oh, Henry, who ran out of time <laughs> to do the assignment uh, like there's a really poorly constructed romance subplot um and you know poor jane brooke um of chicago hope fame really did not uh, deserve what was done to her in this movie um <laughs> because she was like a hard done by single mom waitress um who inexplicably uh decided to fall in love with a guy who brought home a chimpanzee man I, just as a total side note how is he not the most obnoxious neighbor everybody in that compound has ever had in their lives uh with the shrieking yeah. chimpanzee and then getting up early in the morning to throw um pitching practice at the kids playground part of the of the like the unit that he lives in loud enough to wake everybody up um that guy obnoxious just the, the worst, worst neighbor um but yeah and there's so no... many baseballs also so many yeah <laughs> it's, true. it's it's not even like 10 baseballs it's like 50 baseballs that he was throwing yeah I don't know, man. Like, you, you couldn't really pay me to come up with, like, and I just watched this today. 
to come up with like a string of actual plot points that made any sense to like the necessity of the story. Like there's a monkey kidnapping and then two ghoulish cartoon baseball bat wielding leather jacket wearing fiends who then try to murder Matt LeBlanc straight up. And then for some reason, even though they sold the monkey to another team, presumably so he would play, uh, he's dressed in a clown costume and is being electrocuted in a cage. Yes. Um, Which he's trapped in, questions. but also frees himself from. Yes. Yeah. Because he can, he can, <laughs> anyway, uh, there's not a lot that makes sense. By the two most bad guy looking bad guys. Like yeah. These guys have leather and jackets and baseball bats. Just yeah. unbelievably ridiculous, like leering cartoon. They went to the same acting school as the guy who plays the son. And again, they understood, I think, what this movie was supposed to be while nobody else did. Yeah. I mean, they look, I think in, in our episode, I described them as like, like what you would think goons in an SNL sketch would, mm -hmm. yeah. would look like. Yeah, it's it's the it's kind of like in quotation marks almost. And when we were watching this for the third time, there were a couple of moments when like right before something was about to happen, I remembered the thing and laughed well in advance of seeing it. And one of the things was I was like, oh my God, these guys costumes, like specifically the wardrobe that was given to them. Oh my God, it's hilarious. It's it doesn't so bad. make any sense. Like why a minor league team would employ like thugs in yes. like that look like they're just out of a west side story remake like i mm, and they were seemingly able to capture ed without like tranquilizing him and they survived mm -hmm. i know ed is like not a violent chimp uh but it was a hostile situation and you think it probably yes. would not have ended uh well for the uh two uh bad guys yeah, yeah. and how did they get the clown outfit on him <laughs> right and like why does that keep ha why does he keep it on <laughs> i know he's called in that he... nutty nanner truck but but why does he decide to climb into the nutty nanner truck in the first place like do like the, 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 he's like go wait for me in the truck and i know this monkey's not stupid why wouldn't he go to the truck that he knows how to drive as opposed to climbing in? I know that there's chocolate covered bananas, but like, this is life or death, Ed. Like, why are you climbing into this frozen truck just to have some bananas? If you're, if you're gonna need to do, there's a lot of stuff in here that just needs to happen for the plot to advance, but there is no plot really to advance. So it's just, it's extra confusing. Yep. So you I have him kidnapped, so you can take him out and then he has to get him back. And then he goes into the frozen banana truck and then gets hypothermia. Why and does he into go a to a people hospital? And he's at a people hospital. <laughs> Why like, is he in he the hospital? There are all of these empty boxes of the Nutty Nanners in the back. So like, as he was slowly getting hypothermia and by slowly, I mean, over the course of, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes, apparently, he, he continued eating the Nutty Nanners. Yeah. yeah. Did, did yeah. he did he get hypothermia or did he get like monkey diabetes? Like was that the <laughs> like I really must... wanted to Google whether or not chocolate was poisonous to chimpanzees, but then I'm like, no, Ashley, we cannot give credence to this movie to a point where we try to Google whether things are real or not. 
but my I'm still mad about the fact that he went to a people hospital. And he's got the oxygen and he's letting <laughs> He's got like the yeah. whole thing and he's got a pillow and nobody's yep. acting like it's weird that he's in a people hospital. Like Yeah. And then the the daughter is like, "Oh no, mom, you go to the big pennant game championship game whatever that is yep. that they're Baseball going accuracy to problem and i will stay here with my chimp friend in the human hospital by myself and they're like cool well this is established because they just left her with the monkey to go on a date uh because <laughs> there's nobody more responsible than ed to look after a child we don't know what ed's like intelligence level is, and it shifts radically all over the place. First, he's in charge of a kid, yes. but also he's like a, a child who doesn't know how to, mm -hmm. like he's at first not knowing how to use the bathroom, but then he also then knows how to go get like <laughs> the deodorizing spray afterwards for the bath. And then he's left in charge of the kid, but then he's clearly just like a child who's like, you know, eating the ice cream. What, what is his intelligence level? What is the, and people are treating him. He's like on the bus with his like suitcases but then he's also just not understand i don't what is his intelligence he's level? successfully instructed to take a walk yeah he like in his first yep. step back he was able to do that it does it makes no yeah. sense yeah, to which me i mean oduble herrera can't do that <laughs> <laughs> i am glad in that regard it's not really it's sort of storytelling i'm really glad that that is how his his at bat like the only at bat he like kind of gets goes it's like it's because of how he shorty is and he has a small strike zone i was like oh cool it's not he doesn't hit like a grand slam he just he just draws a walk i was like oh that's cool that's fun yeah but yeah, also why are you that, leaving your child with a just a chimpanzee why yeah. what are you doing and she's like am i silly for wanting to call to see if everything's okay i'm like no <laughs> no you left your small child with like a non-human animal to take care of them. Yeah, and it, it. I think really the crux of it is the difference between the Ed who knows that Deuce is too drunk to drive home and so drives him home, and then the Ed who does not know to get in that same truck in order to be safe and instead gets in the nat nat nutty nanner truck. Like that is, those are the most extreme polarities of the Ed intelligence problem. Yeah. And in terms of like storytelling, like function, I, I hate to say this in part because I, I'm genuinely fascinated by the meatloaf driving through the early morning frenzied, like Hunter S. Thompson, like crazy, <laughs> crazy, crazy <laughs> sequence. But like, what's it there for? <laughs> for like, for being at a kind of extended sequence, you don't really get much out of it in terms of like moving the story forward. And it's, it's just like another thing time. that, just another like weird little piece that people were like, what if we, what if we put this in the movie? And other people were like, yeah, sure. Whatever you want. David Mickey Evans. It wasn't trying to like discourage drunk driving because it's not like they provided a safer alternative uh, with with a <laughs> chip behind the wheel. So 100%. I don't know what its purpose was. Well, that's so this is I, I think, Eric, you kind of hit on it. 
David Mickey Evans is the crux of all of our problems. <laughs> not in society. <laughs> all of life's problems. Uh, Facts, not quite Darby. all of that. But like, okay, so after we did The Sandlot 2, which is another film that this man directed and wrote, I was shocked because I was like, this person did The Sandlot 1. How did he have something this bad in him? And then I watched Ed and I was like, oh my God, he actually had something even worse than him. But watching The Sandlot, which is one of my absolute favorite baseball movies of all time, it is so good. It is, does not really have a, a plot per se. At the end, there is a plot to get a ball back. But until that point, that, that uh, Babe Ruth ball does not come in until way, into pretty much the third act or like the second act, end of the second act. There is no, it's mostly just a collection of like, scenes and experiences in like the 50s and with the kids and it works really really well because those kid actors are so good and it's so charming and it works so well because it's just they're at the fair this time and they they eat the dip and now they're all sick they're at the pool committing sexual harassment and it's fun, but also really problematic in the modern time. They're doing like all of these like things. They're going from place to place and it's all just scenes. It's all just vignettes. And it yeah. doesn't have a structure and it works really well there. Yeah, it's sort of like loosely like, will Smalls make friends and fit in with them, I guess? It, like it's, yeah. it's a very vague, yeah, 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 totally. But then you get in this film, and it's the same problem. It's just like, here's a fun scene. I want to do, clearly, David Mickey Evans loves a night fair. That is something he yes. loves a night loves. fair. A night circus is like top tier, greatest thing. You go there as a kid, you go there on a date. You just, that's the thing you want. Every I've seen three films that this guy's made and there's a night fair, a night circus, a night carny show in all three. It's incredible. He loves it. It's a great setting, I guess. That actually answers a question for me that I was a little annoyed that like the adults yes. go on a basically like child friendly date. You know yes. what I mean? Like why didn't the whole family go to the carnival? Thank or you. like if you're adults, go see a movie like an R-rated movie that you couldn't go see if the child Ooh, and the chimpanzee alcohol. were there. Like that was, that bothered me so much. I'm like, oh, what is she going to do? Go home and tell her kid. Yeah, we went to the fair without you. Yeah. Like, we did all <laughs> the things all you would have really liked to do. And I got this giant gorilla. And it's like, <laughs> you know, you're really just going to rub it in her face. I'm like, whoa, what a weird choice. I know you love the scrambler. That's why we went on it twice. <laughs> yeah. It, it could have like been an opportunity for the, like an antagonist who, I don't know, steal Ed because he thinks, oh, this would be great for my carnival. And they bring him along and he is captured there. Maybe that is where the movie turns. That would make much more sense. They have great. the costume, clearly. So you could have just easily, it's already on set. A The clown costume would have made way more the sense. Clock, the clown context. costume. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the plus side is that you wouldn't get what, for me, is one of the lowest parts of the whole movie, which is the montage of Ed and Liz, the little girl, at home when they realize that the adults are in the driveway and they need to clean everything up by just, like, basically spreading things around. 
Erica yeah. and I noticed on our on our third watch through this time that she's doing a really bad job of washing those plates. Like, yeah. I don't know how they used that many plates to begin with. It's like 15 or 16 plates, but like the plates that are in the clean pile are clearly still dirty. That whole sequence with Ed and Liz is a real like, that's where they were like, wait, I think we need to market this movie to children. What do children find funny? And it's all just like gross out food and fart joke humor. And mm -hmm. it doesn't add anything to what the movie actually is. And is barely there because like, oh, well, if a family is watching this, then their, you know, seven-year-old will think this is hilarious. And I don't think any seven-year-old was fooled by that. Any seven-year-old polled about what they think is most hilarious, they will always answer a chimpanzee in a Madonna outfit. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they all say. And so they were like, look, we've looked at the research. We know what they want. We're just, we're going to put it in the film. We got to sell the film somehow. I have a lot of questions about that mom's Halloween costume um, closet. Yes. So truly for like a single mom waitress, <laughs> she's got some like really like specific costumes hanging out. <laughs> like it's pre OnlyFans, so I can't say anything like about her like, secondary yeah. income. Yeah. Brett, it's did you have thoughts though, about yeah. it? Yeah, I questioned it as well, uh, but I decided to not think about it for very long and just move on. <laughs> there was something. Um, about this last viewing of it where there was this is a very very small moment but i was kind of like i feel like this is a very representative thing moment for so much of this film for me and that is the moment that was referred to earlier i think darby you brought up when he is going to the bathroom for the first time in the apartment and so right if he knows how to use it and he's sort of like familiar with that like why why does why doesn't he just go rather than like what he does which is sort of get matt leblanc's attention and sort of like grab his crotch and point to it like he has to pee he goes in after a lot of like very unconvincing arguing back and forth between like no go outside go outside all of that that's still their dynamic and then he goes into the bathroom and he takes a poop instead and then what follows is lots of fart sounds and i was like that that's what this whole movie is like it's confusing it's unnecessary <laughs> it doesn't really seem like it's for children and even with the simple storytelling act of like i have to pee you show one thing and then you do another thing so that even like these tiny little like moment to moment happenings within just like a scene much less the broader narrative are like fundamentally kind of like confusing <laughs> like i was like that's the whole movie the entire movie is doing what this like five seconds is doing <laughs> yeah i mean ed eating is one of the most horrifying things that I can think of. But that one time that he's eating the microwave dinner and then somehow he comes up with a bunch of asparagus and lemons when there was no asparagus and lemons in the meal. What? Like, if you want that joke, you know what? You just put asparagus and lemons in the meals. Uh, anyway. There's just so many frustrating things in this film. If you've ever seen any other film, because <laughs> <laughs> because 
you're like, I know how films go. I've seen a movie once. And then the film in this, in Ed, just doesn't do that. And you're like, wait, we're just, we're now here. What's happening? It's, it's just, it's so, yeah, it really breaks your brain. And one of the biggest things, and this is a, this is the overarching, like poor script plotting is characters. You have Matt LeBlanc in this film and his character is introduced as a like, literally has never played baseball in any organized form in little league or high school or t-ball whatever but he's he's a natural he's amazing at baseball so for some reason he 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 is good at baseball maybe because he's on on the farm opening things with his fastball that uh, long toss program it's just all that long toss program <laughs> and so he's really good at, at baseball and he's a good pitcher and so bam they're like okay get him in the minor leagues we, we scouted him fine and, and he leaves his farm and is like, I'm going to have, how can I not have a great day? I'm playing baseball. Yay. Cheer. Like, love it. Great. Why is his character now suddenly the guy who's like, so in his own head and has got like, he's, he's like choking and he's like, so like type A stressed out and like, I can't lose this. Like baseball is my life. It's like, it, why? It wasn't ever your life. It literally, you picked up, you picked up this game like yesterday. Yeah. The, make that character be like the overachiever, like captain of his T-ball league, captain of, of like every level. And it's just like, I'm so serious. Baseball is this. And then the manager pairs him with the chimp to get him to loosen up and have fun. It's a terrible plot and it's a terrible movie, but at least that is a plot. You have a yeah. character that's one thing. You're now introducing them to the odd couple. Bam. And then there's sense to it. And and I, th this feels like as good a time as any for me to stress my belief that this film would be better if Ed were a catcher. Because Ooh. then it would also make more sense for them to be together. I'm not saying it would be a lot better, but it would make a little more sense. Yeah, yep. that, that yeah. really makes a lot more sense. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, well, actually, I mean, Darby, I absolutely, I love your pitch. And I, I think I'm just frustrated in general that the whole farm boy notion, notion is introduced. And then it's like there's the movie has amnesia and doesn't <laughs> remember the first five minutes of the film. We never see the parents again. We never, we see, never the see the parents he, again. Where are the parents? He saw a league of their own once and he's like, oh yeah, it was really nice when they were on the farm and that farm stuff was really cool. I'm going to put that in my movie. And then it's done. And he saw major league once and he was like, oh yeah, yeah. That thing with like the slips in the lockers. That was really good. We're going to put that in. Yeah. 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 And I like this meatloaf song. <laughs> yeah. I think they just bought the rights to that song. And then at some point we're like, oh no, we got to use this somewhere. And then they added that scene. <laughs> It's like they paid for two songs in this entire movie. One was for the carnival. And then they're like, oh yeah, I really like that meatloaf jam. And then they're like, but where do I put it? And the most feverish scene in the entire film was born. Were they eating yeah. entire pork chops for breakfast on this farm? Even oh, it was like it was like worse. a whole like, like section of poor Wilbur, which was yeah. hard. Because you know what you do in a movie for children? You come straight out of the gate with talking to them about having slaughtered a beloved character from children's literature. <laughs> yeah. 
you know like that's it's the it's the other thing that and and monkeys wearing madonna costumes that's what seven-year-olds respond to the most strongly (laughs) beloved characters of theirs from fiction um just killing them and feeding them to the main character of your film it gets them right off the bat the and first... deuce doesn't even eat any of it so no, it, it was, was a waste yeah <laughs> wilbur died in vain how naive was he though to like it sounds like he's grown up on this farm his whole life did he think that wilbur was going to live forever <laughs> right does he not understand how farms work yeah his mom has just been trading out pigs the whole time and forgot to get wilbur. one this time around he's like wilbur 27 oh man oh we're out of bacon it, it's like I don't know. The point of this movie where I realized it was not a kid's movie actually came a bit later when they were in the room and like the kind of jerk player was like telling Deuce that he was going to be cut on cut day, which is not a real thing. Uh, And then he's like, why don't you take your really smile, your tiny pencil out of your pants and like write about it. And I'm like, oh, that was just a real bad small joke. And I'm like, this movie is not for children. This is yeah. not. It's like, it's yeah. not for adults either, but it's not for children. And I'm like, oh, this is weird. This is a weird movie. Try to make a movie for everyone and you will make a movie for no one. <laughs> what is the theme of this movie? What is the lesson? What is the moral? What is the, what is the point? But like, what is the theme of this movie? Friendships? Let the monkeys play? don't judge a book by its cover like i have no i'm so baffled because there's no usually with kids movies there's it's a very overt message and that's fine because you want to you want to make sure every you know buddy gets it but like there what is the point capitalism bad yeah Oh, unfortunately, that's rarely the point of a children's movie usually it's the opposite but the team owner was painted as is comically bad and then there's the entire scene where he's like cackling with all the other guys and he's carrying his little binders that say the plan and he's talking about how he's going to manipulate the monkey out of his payday because he's a chimp and doesn't know any better and i'm like huh that's the only like evidence of like i don't know unless it's just like don't take things too seriously and you'll be able to throw 125 um i think it's got to be um team owners are bad and also like should you find yourself responsible for a chimpanzee don't judge it and go ahead and share your bed with it right away yeah yeah i'm like like you know if you can (laughs) you should both pee in the toilet bowl at the same time yeah yeah yes it's just a couple of friends crossing streams <laughs> definitely shouldn't yeah, like teach everybody him to wash his hands everybody does that that's that's why we put it in the movie it's relatable right <laughs> yeah. it's relatable it's what seven-year-olds like um i mean i was in answer to your question darby i was actually tempted to say oh it's the classic baseball movie you just need to learn to have fun theme mm. moral because I feel like that's what it is for almost every baseball movie. But you're so right that by introducing him as the farm boy, who, you know, is pretty relaxed and doesn't seem to have like too many thoughts per minute, uh, it kind of foils even that attempt. Mm-hmm. It just sort of jams that in like halfway through, like, oh, right, also baseball movies say that, so we need to say that now. But it's not actually really a lesson from the beginning. I love I love the like oh baseball movies do that so we should do this. It makes me sort of think like I think that's so much of what's going on here. Yeah, honestly. check in boxes. 
Yep. He's like, he's, it's the movie is entirely constructed of things that were done better elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like watered down to a point where they're almost unrecognizable. So you can't really call it plagiarism um, because it's just done so poorly um, that it, you know, that nobody would want to claim that he was ripping them off. Yeah. I mean, that you have that major league idea, right? Too, of like the evil, like mustache twirling owner and you're kind of winning it to spite them. But even that isn't done well. Like it's, it is like a, again, a vague alien watching movies and being like, I can write, I can make, put this into a script. But even then, if you had somebody creative, like I would want to see the script of this done like the room, right? I want somebody with a vision. Yeah. I want somebody with a creative vision who is, potentially completely bonkers maybe not even human maybe an alien and i want to see somebody go all the way and and really be creative with it instead of this kind of it's it's so vanilla in the so many of it but also very uncompetently made part of the way into this i wanted to i was like i want to see a full length making of this movie oh like i would pay so much money for that where like ed is like 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 hanging off of the ceiling fix and like you know it's somebody in a costume and I'm just like I want to see everything that went on that isn't on screen right now like for sure every part of it um one thing uh really quickly because I'm sort of like freaking out about it this is amazing just thinking about some of the things we were just saying reminded me of like in Independence Day when Vincent D'Onofrio's character is like inside of the human suit there was something about like describing like oh well yeah we are we are a baseball movie and so like sort of like in the suit and then i just looked it up and remember what that character's name was edgar (laughs) Edgar. oh my gosh such a good conspiracy theory oh yeah i i I, i'm gonna i'm gonna develop a uh, a deeper theory about this. Do it. It's so much fun to develop anything around David Mickey Evans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we can we can work it into existing theories also yes. if we want sort of like a grand unified theory. <laughs> well, one of the the things that I remember Eric's research unveiling uh, when we did our podcast uh, was, the, and this would be very excellent for the making of Ed, is that apparently the ed puppet made so many mechanical whirring sounds that basically everything uh that um matt Matt leblanc i couldn't remember matt leblanc's name all of a sudden uh everything that matt leblanc did had to be re-recorded in adr which also like explains a lot of the disjointedness of those scenes i mean not that they wouldn't be disjointed anyway but yes Yes. If if there's something that it was good about this movie, I thought um, Denise uh, Cheshire is for who played Ed Sullivan, our our monkey. I thought her uh, movements around set uh, were very monkey like, and you know, to be expected as she's known for her roles like Other Gorilla on Mighty Joe Young, (laughs) uh, (laughs) Flying Monkey on Under the Rainbow, um, just a number of different. Ape themed yeah, <laughs> monkey mantle. Hey, work is work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. Work begets work. Yeah. Absolutely. 
I know we've been talking about a lot of storytelling things and there might be still more to discuss, but Brett, what is your grading for uh, the storytelling tool of Ed? Uh, I think I, I gave it a 25. Um, I don't know. They, they hit some beats that like resembled a plot. Um, so below the, uh, slightly above the, the bottom of the barrel, which would be the 20 grade. So I, I don't know, maybe I was being a little nice. I gave it a 25. Fair and charitable, yes. Uh, Darby, how about you? Oh, it's twenty. I it's it's some of the most baffling. This is one of the most baffling scripts I've ever, I've ever seen. Like, I, the, I, competent, not even competent directing. <laughs> it, it, everything was in focus. So cinematographer, <laughs> great job. It was lit, like you could see mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Good job, Gaffer. Good job, there, Key Grip. There was no yep, visible yep. boom mics. So excellent, excellent sure. job for the below the line folks. Uh, no, it's one of the worst scripts. I just bad. It's it's bad. It's so frustrating on a storytelling level that it's it's remarkable. It almost wraps around to to being remarkable, but then it wraps back around to being terrible. <laughs> it's yes, it true. laps itself. Yeah, because it's so inconsistent. I think if any one of its very bad like genres that it was attempting if it was consistently that thing Mm -hmm. then it might be consistently so bad that it's good but it's not even consistent at that one particular thing yeah agreed i was i was a 20. i believe eric was also a 20. yeah i think so yes indeed or i should have been if i wasn't (laughs) so let's move along to our next tool although if more storytelling things come up we can always uh we can talk about them in the freestyle session um so our next tool is the score tool score tool (laughs) and uh brett why don't you get us started with this one this one i had as a 20. I i i had no recollection of the score um, and also outside of the score, the other sound effects that were just kind of sprinkled in throughout the movie um, really threw me off, really took me out of the scene. Um, yeah. So just nothing memorable, nothing good, and 20 for me. I mean, I feel like, frankly, it would be a blessing if I had no memory of this score. But <laughs> it is it is deeply deeply in there at this point like i think a score that i had no memory of would be like oh, maybe a 40 but this is the stuff of nightmares this score mm-hmm. like for me personally sorry i'm getting ahead of myself uh darby how did you feel about the score oh, oh it's it's hor- it's horrible it is it is right there with the script in terms of just and and you're right ellen it's not it's not just like a like a 35 where you're like oh this is mediocre at best. No, it is aggressively harmful to each scene. Because yes. how many yes. slide whistles can you possibly put into one <laughs> movie? Every other every other sound beat was a slide whistle. Like you gotta stop with the slide whistles. Oh my! There there is uh, you got a Dire Straits song thrown in there. You got the Meatloaf song that we talked about. Uh, you got the Ramones tossed in there, but none of them are done in ways that help. They they are they are just like we we bought this song and we're gonna put it in the film, and it's just you know you have like a a, a top song a known song to throw in for the end credits. There you go, 
And it's not, doesn't necessarily help you finish it off the, I don't know why the, the I don't want to grow up is that's not really part of the theme of the movie, I guess. That's not there. So that's just unnecessary. But yeah, mm-hmm. all of the musical, the the general score, the the musical beats, the 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 sound effect keys, all just so aggressively awful. I wanna, I wanna, I I think I gotta go like a 20 or a 25, maybe, because some of the music that they did have, the Ala songs are pretty good but they're used in such a poor way that i think it almost has to drop it down because musical score is it's a part it's such craftsmanship that if i gave it more than i think a 20 i feel like it would be insulting to actual composers who put in effort and time into the craft of filmmaking to actually put sound and subtlety in here and this film awful i'm really I'm almost torn, right? Because there's some way in which it's like, is this actually the perfect score for this movie? Is this really Mm -hmm. a suit the action to the word, the word to the action kind of a situation? Because the score is every bit as terrible as the movie is. And at the same time, I feel like somehow the score makes the movie worse. Like the score is leaden shoes that are like dragging even this very terrible movie down to further depths for me personally. Like it's just, yeah, it just makes it so much worse. Um, Ashley, what was your uh, score on the score? I'm going to go probably with a much too generous 25 Mm -hmm. um, in that I think that the score was trying to do something with the movie, but (laughs) you can't if you don't know what kind of movie it is. Like the score and the sound was done by somebody from 1925 who (laughs) was like, what tunes do the kiddies like? And it's like the most ridiculous, like, Uh, out of control sound effects that somebody who just discovered a soundboard tool would be like oh yeah that'd be funny here um but the one that stands out isn't even like a musical cue it's the beginning when like crush or whoever like the villainous like opposing player is spits an enormous loogie 60 feet um from the batter's box uh to deuce and i've never been so yeah i think more people should have been like wow no (laughs) Good job. I, I I was like, well, for one, good, yeah, amazing. But I never wanted to throw up while watching a movie so badly in my life <laughs> because not only does he have like the the tobacco juice dripping down his face, just the sound of it landing, like bravo to the, the Kevin Costner bread milk still made me want to vomit more than, <laughs> than this. That is the that's the moment that truly broke us on this podcast. Um, have you guys watched for love of the game yet? We have. We sure have. That scene where he's like in her apartment and for some inexplicable reason has jammed bread into a cup of milk. Um, We lost our minds. It's the most inexplicable thing I've ever seen on film. Until until Ed, when every every other frame was, yeah, an assault to the the senses. (laughs) Um, And this this loogie hawked across the field in Ed is like right up there in um disgustingness but at least like this had logical context in that baseball players chew tobacco and, and then spit it but usually not 60 feet six inches um Ugh. but it was re- it was repellent it was like the first 10 minutes of this movie and i wanted to just puke <laughs> yeah 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 you hadn't even gotten to ed eating yet 
no i can't tell if that's like a nod to like the success of the audio uh, or not which is really just a great summary of this movie's audio and score in that like it does what it set out to do i think um but it's not a good thing that it does that <laughs> yes yeah agreed i actually had I, I don't know i'd given this a 30 because i was like is 20 not having a score but i really feel like if anything ever deserved a 20 it was this yeah and that the the music that plays over the opening credits that dun 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 dun, dun, dun i like it it still gets stuck in my head sometimes it's in there um, forever yeah yeah it's terrible yes, what a thing to be... have live rent free yeah oh, i mean yeah not rent free in the good way so our next tool is acting and uh darby why don't you kick us off here what's your acting score Ooh. Uh, this comes into all of the rest of the film where it comes to inconsistency uh, and like what what is the, what are we doing? What is the purpose of this movie? Uh, and so like, what are the characters? What are these people supposed to, how are they supposed to act in this film? Are they supposed to be trying to be straight character? You know, the straight laced with the monkey as the like the, the comedic. I think you have a couple of just stunningly good um character actors and, and like classic like really talented actors like uh like like jack warden is actually quite good in this and he is a fantastic actor and bill cobbs as the bench coach is also yeah. really really good and actually just really delightful like he is shockingly good uh like way too good for this movie for by Agreed. far those those two i think overall though it's still it's still like a i want to say I'm gonna go 35 because there's a lot of people that are in different movies than this. There, there is sure. there's several people in different movies basically all combining, and I don't think it's necessarily the acting's fault. I don't think any particular actor was bad, which makes me want to put it up. I'm gonna put it up to a 40. I, I've I've talked myself into it. I'm gonna do a 40. It's far too generous, but just I'm gonna say. You got our our manager characters, Jack Warren and Bill Cobbs. They they drag this thing from a thirty to a forty. Yeah, I I I agree. I feel like, uh, also for me personally, Jim O'Hare helps. Th that like Jim O'Hare, Jack Warden, and Bill Cobbs kind of like sort of escape the gravitational pull of the rest of the movie, uh, in a way that uh, that others don't. Brett, what's your score for this? I did have it at a 30. Um, I, I thought Jane Brooke was was fine as the uh, love interest for Deuce Cooper. I don't remember her character's name. Lydia, it's never mentioned in the film. <laughs> you only know that if you went to IMDb. So I, I liked her um, acting. Uh, Jim O'Hare is great, of course. Um, I, I wish we could have seen more or heard more from um, Valente Rodriguez, uh, who played the, the catcher. Um, other than that, um, it was pretty rough. Matt LeBlanc, again, a lot of this was probably give, based on the script that they were given, um, but just not a whole lot of great acting here. Um, so I, I gave it a 30. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I can see that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Ashley, what was your score? I think Darby talked me into a 40. I think based on the strength of 
all of the incredible character actors that pull this in. Um, Jane Brooke was in a fully different movie, just like Darby was saying, like a bunch of people in this movie were in completely different films and acting their little hearts out. And it reminded me, and I this is probably gonna be a, a wonderful comparison for this movie, but not one that it should open, except with open arms. Um, the movie Samurai Cop, um, which is a truly great, terrible movie, uh, has a side character who is the police captain, um, who's very much like the gimme your badge and gun character in the masterpiece of fine art that is Samurai Cop. And um, he is acting in a fully different movie for that entire, he is like, he's he is going for his you know daytime emmy i don't know what he's doing but he's just acting his heart out throughout that entire thing just ready to like flip his desk over in frustration just like the most top-notch aggressive performance i've ever seen from like a, a cop captain character um and that's what everybody as a side character in this movie is doing like they're all they've been handed scripts of completely different films films um, and have been thrown together at the last minute and are doing their utmost to make things work because you've got guys like we've talked about like the thugs and the team's owner's son who are clearly in like a cartoonish kids comedy you've got Jane Brooke who is in like a dramatic romance movie a la Bull Durham uh, where she's trying to teach a lesson to Deuce about the importance of friendship and um, standing up for what you believe in um, even, and I hate kids, I mean, child actors, but no, I hate kids. Um, and, and like, even Liz wasn't terrible. Like the scene between her and Ed is awful, but like the little moments of her interacting, um, with her mom and they're not the most abysmal thing I've ever watched in my life, which is saying something for child actors. Um, so she's not painful to watch. Um, yeah, it's... I, I think that there are pieces of this that are really good. Uh, oh, I shouldn't say that. I take it back. There are pieces of this that are watchable in an otherwise steaming pile of crap. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the 40 goes to those pieces that are, are like not the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. There are moments that are like 55 moments even, mm -hmm. you know, like, like Bill Cobbs being tickled by Ed Yes. It's it's genuinely like wonderful. Giggling as he runs away. Yeah, yeah. Just truly wonderful. Yeah. I mean, there's some bad acting in this film, don't get me wrong, but it's that sort of tricky situation as well, where when I look at it, I'm like, if the acting in this were two hundred percent better, you'd still have a very crappy movie on your hands. Because like, you know, better acting isn't going to take care of the screenplay the structure just like the fundamental premise of the film and and so i think there's only so much acting can do and the acting is not especially great in a number of cases i don't think you could have like sydney portier try to deliver the line i'm gonna spank that monkey and be, <laughs> be quality so yeah it's yeah. there's only so much you can do yeah, yeah. And actually something that I thought for the first time listening to what you were saying, Ashley, is that again, sort of like with the score, a lot of the acting is just suit the action to the word, the word to the action. Like because the movie is all over the place, the acting is also all over the place. Yeah. There's all different kinds of like genres of acting. And you can see that it's because the actors were just looking at the script and were like, well, this seems like the genre of the scene that I'm doing today. So I guess I'll just do that. 
And yes, that leads to a lot of unevenness. Yeah, which I think has got to say something about the direction in that there probably wasn't much because it really does feel like everybody's just doing their own thing in this movie. Yes. Yeah. I I often feel like pretty even acting performances are always a testament to the direction. You know what I mean? If there's not even like the bad nurse or doctor, as there often is in a film of somebody who is just like, how did this, how did this person even get in here? They're yeah. such a bad actor. Um, that I'm always like, you know, the direction was really good if there was nobody who was bad. And uh, obviously the converse <laughs> is also true. Um, so our next tool is the delightfulness of catcher character tool. And uh, Ashley, why don't you take this one away? I'm going to, I'm only going to score this low because he's not in it enough to score higher. And so I'm going to go 45. Um, I, I feel like there's nothing done about the fact that within the first three seconds of introducing this character, we bomb him with some casual racism um in that like the first thing we see is the like jerk player from the opposing team calling our latin american catcher taco um which you know super totally necessary has anything yeah. to do with the plot other than to establish that this guy's a big old jerk um he has a couple lines they make it very evident that I think the biggest part of his entire character is that he is Latin American because he you know back where I come from as they say you know me casa su casa and but he does seem to kind of have that like charming pudgy delightful like character of a catcher like he very much captures what you want from a catcher um there's just not enough of him and he doesn't get rounded out as any kind of real character like you see him in the bar scene after Dizzy gets let go and he's like I sure hope I make it to the majors one day and I'm like yeah me too Jesus but I wish I knew why you wanted to make it to the majors like was your dad a major league catcher and this is part of your like trajectory from life or like were you from the Dominican where being a player was such an integral part of everyday life that you know this is your biggest dream like you don't know anything about him um except that he you know is very calm <laughs> and nice to a chimpanzee um so i think he's the kind of character who would rank a lot higher on the scale if we got more of him yeah nah i, th I absolutely think that's fair but it's like what we get is like affable good-natured the lovable team leader that we need from a catcher. Um, Brett, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, if I'm a scout, I think I'm looking at this and the, the potential grade is probably uh, 55, 60 range. You look at an actor like uh, Vicente Rodriguez, but what what, what we got, um, whether that was, you know, just completely written out of the movie or they just never saw a role for him other than the few lines that he had in this movie um, was, was closer to the 35 40 range um and since i like vicente rodriguez i'll i'll give it a 40 great no i love i love the like 40 but like future value 55 60 yes. like i like that i like that very much yeah darby what did you think oh, i think brett nailed it i think future value you had you had a ceiling of like a 55 i think a really solid regular but what we actually saw in action is about a 40 it not not bad not terrible not far from from the worst thing in this film but just not not a lot 
it hasn't it doesn't have anything to do really like it's tough too because you have a catcher the the main character besides the chimp is a pitcher so you would think that the catcher would be at least the third most important player but you would think so just nothing and there's no like discussion between the two or training with the two like you know like why do you keep throwing the curve like why do you make the like your, your curve sucks like something like that like some fun but no there's or you could have the three of them have a training montage with ed and the catcher and or just getting back to eric's point just make ed the catcher instead he does have one of my favorite moments though it's when it's at the very beginning when and deuce is losing the game and he is very clearly about to throw the curve even though nobody has asked him to and nobody wants him to and jesus like turns and looks towards the dugout like what is this guy doing and like he's gonna throw it and then like that's it and i'm like i think that was my inadvertent chuckle i think that was like my one time in this movie where i was just like (laughs) um and yeah it's entirely because he's like what is he's gonna do it and yeah, it was probably not super helpful for a catcher to do that, though. Yeah, like, yeah, that, that that might be a, a little clue to whoever's <laughs> <Yeah>. batting. <laughs> yeah, a subtle, a subtle giveaway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or him behind no the plate. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do, I do say that also really liking um, the character and wishing that we could see more of him um preferably in a different movie (laughs) yeah yeah my only problem with eric's and i think smart sort of make ed the catcher character is that then we wouldn't have the catcher character to give me the like little bits of delight the little fragments that i have shored against my ruin uh of jesus i went 50 um even though we didn't get very much of him i felt like the moments were above average delightful um, that we did personally. Yeah. Um, so our next tool is a delightfulness of announcer character. And uh, Brett, why don't you let me know what you thought about uh, our Jim O'Hare announcer? As, as a huge Parks and Rec fan, I was delighted to see Jim O'Hare in this film. Uh, Again, I thought every line he delivered, he knocked it out of the park, as I would expect out of Jim O'Hare. Um, wasn't as good as, you know, some of uh, the uh, more well-known announcers in baseball films. Obviously, he's no Bob Uecker, uh, but I give him a, a 50. I thought, you know, this guy, every, every line works. He is an average producer, everyday player. Give me Jim O'Hare and my team any day of the week. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, Ashley, what do you think? I think based on the quality of the movie he's in, um, I think I got to give him a 55. I think he's probably one of the highlights of the movie. He sounds like a legit baseball announcer. Like in the scenes where you're just hearing his voice, he absolutely sounds like the kind of guy you would hear in a minor league park calling games, kind of a local celebrity figure, um, you know, like somebody who charms the local crowd and they're used to him and has his own bobblehead. And um I like yes, yeah. I like that he there's like a connection between him and um, the Lydia character, and that mm-hmm. they're obviously related in some capacity because he calls Liz his niece. Um, although part of me has to assume like great niece, like it doesn't feel like those are brother sister. 
um but i mean i'm not going to dive into like the the details of their family dynamics maybe they're half siblings yeah it could could be something or like something where it's just like you know oh yeah good old uncle jim um in the fact that he's like a family friend or something but like she goes in and like throws out his hot dog and it's like that whole coyote ugly subplot of like trying to make sure he eats well um you'll thank me one day <laughs> um so he's he's charming and he's fun and he it's cute that he has this dynamic with liz um and he yeah like i said he's great in that he does feel natural and absolutely like somebody that you would see legitimately on tv at a minor league park so uh, i'm gonna go with 55 because he is far better than this movie deserves yes yeah i i completely agree uh darby uh anything uh, to add about uh, Jim O'Hare. No, I, I agree. I think 55, really solid, could have been, I feel like they're really missing out on what could have been a, a 65, like really solid performance. I really agree. I liked the connection between both the niece and I actually do think it was a sister. In fact, I just looked it up. Jim O'Hare is actually two years younger than uh, Jane Brooke. So oh my God. younger wow. brother, younger brother, maybe. Um, yeah, I like that. I like that added dynamic. It's com it's completely useless. There's no there's nothing else there for it. But I actually would have loved to see that explored more. Yeah. But what we did get was, I think, like Brett said, just a really solid everyday player. That's a fine announcer. Had a little fun line about like I'm probably the first announcer to ever say that line. Great, great, stuff. solid stuff. Jim yeah, let great. me alert the media. That was could have been even better, though. I feel like there was a lot of meat left on that bone. Yeah, I myself, I, I went a 55. The only thing and this I did not factor into my scoring, but it did annoy me that his uh, that his announcing was broadcast to the stadium. <laughs> As if it, he were, you know, just announcing who was up to bat or something instead of like, he's clearly like the radio announcer or the TV announcer yeah. or something like that. But it's also broadcast to the stadium, which are, I mean, whatever, fine. It's small potatoes as far as this particular film goes. <laughs> that happens an annoyingly high amount of time in like baseball movies where you're not sure if it's supposed to be the play-by-play -play announcer or the public address announcer. Maybe it's both. Who knows? That happens way too much in baseball movies. He really does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I think that's actually even an issue in the rookie a little bit, it if is. I recall. Yeah, I think the high school scenes. Yeah. So our final tool is lack of misogyny. So phrased such that a positive score is a good thing. Uh, and I will throw this to Ashley first. What do you think? Oh, man. I'm just in my head trying to calculate whether or not this passes the Bechdel test in any capacity because there are only two named female characters. Well, no, there's three because of the mom. Um, but Lydia is not even named in the movie. She's just named on IMDb. Um, but there's no overt, like, aggression towards women. Like, there's no bad... Like there's no groupy characters. Like she's very much just, you know, your average single mom. Um, I don't know. I feel like I got to give it like, I feel like I'm going to go with a 40 only because there's so few women in it that giving it any kind of grade is really hard to do. But like, mm 
-hmm. the Liz character is treated with fairness. She very clearly loves baseball. She has relationships with the team and um, Lydia is there. Um, so, but she's not, <laughs> she's not made like the crux of any plot developments in a bad way. And, you know, the mom character is very supportive. It's hard to give it anything higher because there's no, yeah. there's no real plot development with any of them. They aren't central to any of the driving motion with the exception of Lydia kind of giving the most ridiculous speech I've ever heard in the diner to do oh going like, well, oh yeah, if Liz got kidnapped, I should just let her go because it's too much work. Like, it, and it it doesn't she's not played as like the hysterical woman but like it's a really weird speech nevertheless to be like he was kind of effectively traded like his contract was sold to another team and yes he was put in a clown costume in an electrocuted cage but that's neither here nor there like he was just going to another team and they didn't and know that at that time him. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah, she doesn't necessarily know but that. But they were treating it like, yeah, well, he was kidnapped. Meanwhile, like Chubb and the owner were like, no, no, we sold him. Like it wasn't really a kidnapping. It was planned and executed as it was supposed to. But her reaction seemed very like intense. Um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with 40. There's just not enough women doing things in this movie to give it anything higher. But the women in it aren't treated badly enough for me to make it lower. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, no, that uh, bothered me very much, uh, particularly this sort of like false equivalency between this chimpanzee that he very recently has decided that like he accepts as a friend and not as just an annoying chore that's been foisted upon him and her daughter that she birthed. Like, yeah, uh, yeah I was just like, these, these things are, are, are not equal. Um, so Darby, what do you think about lack of misogyny? I would say, I think since this is on a scale, cause you know, we're, we're, we're talking about different films here. I would probably put it as like a 55 because mm -hmm. I've not seen, I think the, the things that knock it are just basically, there's just nothing for any of the female characters to do. And there's just sort of a bland romantic subplot in there so that there could be a female character which is a really boring way of being like, we just need to have not just men in this entire film or, and one monkey. Uh, but there's just, it, it's not, it's definitely not the worst, but it's just bland when it comes to that. They have daughter character who doesn't really do much. Uh, we have the Lydia again, who doesn't even get a name really. Uh, she's not in the actual script. Uh, there's a name, but not in the actual film. And it doesn't matter. And we don't know what her hopes and dreams are or any motivations. And yeah. so like that would really yep. help a lot is if we knew, like the daughter wants, <laughs> basically wants Matt LeBlanc's character to hook up with her mom because her mom is lonely, I guess, maybe. But it's, it's, there's, it's a very thin plot. So it's like, what, what is the mom want it's not your bull durham where you actually have like at least a character that like this character has these motivations and even if they might be kind of very strangely written it's like an actual character where this is just lydia's the female character number one basically in the script yeah no no i i completely agree about that i i 
I also feel like just a little complicated about the fact that like Liz is so demanding that her mother need a man. Like that feels a little, I mean, I, I also, I understand she's a child and she probably wants a father figure around or something like that. But I'm just like, you know what? Like your mom doesn't need a man to define her. Uh, it feels but like she also thinks he's got a cute butt. So I mean, yeah, maybe she just wants him around for that reason. So she can look at that sweet butt all the time. I mean, she hates to see him go, but you know. <laughs> I also love that the only reason she can think of why he wouldn't want to date her mother is because he's gay. Yes. Like it's it's just like her <laughs> like, mind is immediately It would like, be okay if he was. Yeah, yeah. they do yeah, the yeah, classic yeah. 1990s Seinfeld. But I feel like she really set that up like as like a way to like dupe him into feeling bad because he's she, first she's like are you gay and he's like no and she's like so it must be me then which is why you don't want to date my mother and he's like no <laughs> it's well it's also probably because he is like what like a 20 year old farm boy who doesn't want right. to necessarily who's in the minor league so he's going to be in somewhere else entirely yeah. next year or in like several months so maybe he doesn't want to like come in and out of somebody's life with kids and yeah, it's, I, it, there's just like, it's a, they're just not, there's just nothing, there's just nothing for most characters to do. And so the, the, the two female characters, plus the mom, who's completely forgotten about again, entirely, the parents are just, I can't believe the parents aren't there in the end. So you could have at least the mom and maybe bringing a giant like rump roast or something. And then Ed <laughs> enjoys that you know, or something like, or is just feeding the whole team? Like there's, there's an opportunity to introduce and have the three female characters in the entire script to do something. And the mom is there to just be existing and then disappears. And then the other two are just there for uh, plot convenience only. Yeah. Yeah. No, obviously, obviously that's an issue. Um, and Brett, did you have any additional thoughts uh, about lack of misogyny before I weigh in with my last couple of uh, notions? Yeah, I mean, I was a little worried at the beginning that uh, Lydia's character was just going to be akin to like Susan Sarandon in Bull Durham or Brittany Murphy in Summer Catch, where her only purpose, well, not only purpose, uh, but I thought maybe in this movie, her only purpose was going to be the woman who is a fan of the team uh, in more ways than one. And she just kind of hung around. And that wasn't the case, which I was happy about. Um, but other than that, it just felt like her character um, wasn't developed much outside of her being uh, our main character's love interest. And I didn't think that was developed really well. Um, but I wouldn't call that uh, misogyny. Um, so 45, I don't know. This was the toughest one to grade for me because there was so little i think uh, but it also yeah. wasn't like man this movie is so progressive <laughs> oh yeah absolutely not despite that you know very very sensitive comment from liz about being okay with him being gay if that's what it was yeah for me i actually i was also a 45 although i understand darby where you come to your 55 particularly i think in the character of liz because now that you know this was fairly early in eric and i doing our podcast and now that we've done like 50 baseball movies i really appreciate that liz is even 
like a female child uh, for the number of movies that we have seen in which it seems inconceivable that like a young girl could be interested in baseball because that's only boys who are interested in baseball, didn't you know? Um, something that I noticed about this movie that I hadn't really registered, probably because I was uh, shell-shocked the first time that we watched it, is how quickly they're paired off at the end. Like, Tommy Lasorda says that he's going to bring him up to the majors. And then all of a sudden you see they're all moving together. Mm -hmm. Like that seems like that moved very quickly. And I mean, that's why I think the mom doesn't show up again at the end is because it's very important that the last image essentially be like, no, this is the new family unit. We've decided because they went on that one date one time. Ooh. The fair without, yeah. without their respective kid either their kid or their chimp. Yes, yes, <laughs> Their exactly. respective children, yeah. Their respective children, they're bringing the swing set with them. Uh, the other thing for me, lack of misogyny that uh, we, we haven't discussed was just the couple of times that uh, coaches demean the players on the team by calling them ladies or women, um, which, you know, there are no women appearing in that scene, but there is misogyny. So I think that's one <laughs> of the main reasons that actually sort of bumped me from a 50, considering the existence of of Liz primarily uh, to a 45. So that concludes the grading of uh, Ed on the various tools that we have. And so now we're going to make you uh, suffer through our regularly scheduled programming. I'm very um, excited for it. Which is something that's going to be very tricky in this movie, I think. Uh, and that is that we like to select a player for our respective favorite team. Um, so if you were scouting players for the Phillies uh, and, um, oh God, Eric, are you a Mets fan? I am. I'm so sorry. That's the correct response. <laughs> oh God, are you a Mets fan? Yes. Um, and well, I mean, I'm also a Tigers fan, so truly there's no joy in Mudville. Um, but <laughs> typically for this podcast, we select somebody for the Rays. Um, so you have to go through and in some capacity, and our listeners will know that we cheat a lot in doing this, uh, find somebody in the movie that you would choose for your respective organization. Uh, Ellen, I'm gonna make you go first. Okay. Well, honestly, I thought that I was going to be picking a player for the Rays. Oh, um, do it. So I, I but I, I think what I'll do is I'll say who I was going to pick for the Rays and then I'll say who I'm going to, I'd pick for the Phillies. Um, and I was going to pick Jesus, uh, the catcher for the Rays. Um, like, you know, I think one of the players that to me comes off the best in this film as both a player and a human being. Uh, and I feel like, you know, no, no shade on Mike Zanino or anything like that, but like, he's not immovable. Um, you, you could, you know, Jesus could work his way up through the minor league system. Um, and this makes me really sad, but if I, if I'm picking somebody for the Phillies, like, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to pick Deuce Cooper and put him in the Phillies bullpen um, because I just think that it's the, the Phillies obvious like greatest need and if you can get him to just throw his 125 mile an hour fastball um, not that I wish catching it on Garrett Stubbs and JT Realmuto I still feel like just a, a little bit of coaching getting him to not throw his curveball anymore 
bring him in for an inning, you know, he could actually help the Phillies out. It's sad. He, he com- and he true. commands it better than Jose Alvarado. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Eric, what about you? You know, I think that it's probably also Deuce. I don't think that the Mets are quite in a place where Buck Showalter is going to be going to any single A games and going, pay him what he wants. <laughs> Send him up next week. Yeah, but Steve Cohen would do that. <laughs> but Steve Cohen might. And we'll just watch um, no, the I mean, you know, it's Twitter. Just, the fact of the matter is, you know, we've we've had some pitchers who are out of commission for an indefinite amount of time. Um, and so throwing another arm into the mix, especially one that can hit 125 on a good day. Sometimes it's just 114. Um, sure. Why not? I mean, you'd have him and Sid Finch right next to each other in the rotation. <laughs> thank you Amazing. for that burn yes i appreciate you thank you <laughs> all right brett who you got um well i'm gonna go with ed uh but not as a third baseman because we talked about his uh his arm earlier and i would like to see ed the pitcher um he is already mm. burning holes in a first baseman's glove i hope the catcher's mitt is more durable and can actually hold on to the baseball or else we'll have a whole other set of issues or maybe he could just dial it back on the fastball a little bit. We never saw him on the radar gun, uh, but the fact that uh, he was literally, uh, there were sparks and flames coming out of the first baseman's glove. It's probably right up there next to Deuce Cooper's fastball. Um, So I'll take Ed, but no more third base because I feel like the hitting is just not going to pan out. Um, He looks very good defensively. Maybe he can play some shortstop or center field as like a defensive replacement. Um, I want him as as a pitcher, though. He would run too slow to be a good center fielder. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but shortstop, I mean, you did see him have an unassisted triple play, yeah. so. Oh, you mean the very first play that he fielded? Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. Just a natural. And it can only go up from there, right? <sighs> Absolutely. Darby, who you got? All right, so I think there's been some good choices so far. I'm going to go, because I always pride myself on my outside the box thinking on this show. I am going to take Art, played by Jim O'Hare, the announcer, and I'm going to be thinking down the line because I I think the Rays have one of the best announcing crews in the business. Dwayne Stats and Brian Anderson are fantastic, but Dwayne is getting up there in age. He's kind of nearing retirement. I think he's going to get into the the Broadcasting Baseball Hall of Fame and the broadcaster. And then I think he's going to hang up the microphone and we're going to need a replacement to play off of BA. And I, you know, Art showed some, some chops. So maybe start him, start him down with the Charlotte Stone Crabs in the minors and, and maybe work his way up from there. So I'm going to get the, the spry uh, announcing prospect of Jim O'Hare's art and let him work his way up. An excellent like choice. Solid choice. Yeah, for sure. I like it. Uh, I'm also going to take Jesus. Uh, I think he is a very natural fit for the Rays. I think he's the kind of guy who would become a fan favorite in just his like charisma and his kind of, you know, presence behind the plate. And like Ellen was saying, you can't have Zunino back there forever. He's getting on in years. And with these deadened balls, he can't even get the home runs. So I feel like his days are numbered. So I feel like Jesus is a natural fit to start at like that Durham level. 
and then you know Zunino inevitably gets injured he can come in and kind of pick up and uh, pair off with Mejia and have a, a nice like one-two punch there so that is nobody took choice. um Bill Cobbs's magic quarter that correctly predicts if people are going to be major leaguers or not Oh, does it though? <laughs> this is this is how crazy this film is. Is that we've been talking about it for like two hours, and we didn't bring up the magic predictor coin that doesn't actually predict. That's how crazy this movie is. <laughs> That's just a thing yeah, that because it doesn't matter. actually fall over to a side until it's already happened. So it's not even predicting. It's just like showing you by a different barometer the thing that like you could have easily discovered if you had just been in the stands yeah and it tips over for nobody it does it in an empty room like the 60 yeah. percent chance it's already raining yeah. <laughs> exactly oh my goodness um oh. so do we have any any last thoughts before we land this plane about ed anything that we have not covered like the magic quarter um Anything else we need to we need to touch on here? That even for the sake of camp, I cannot tell you more seriously not to watch this movie. Um, just it's a, please, it's a hard ninety minutes. Like it is the most don't. dragging yeah. ninety minutes I've ever experienced. If you do watch it, watch it three times. <laughs> <laughs> it's the That's only the sweet way. Spot. That's the sweet. And like you're and gonna like, suffer. Uh, yeah, you will you will laugh just in that sort of like I can't cry, so I have to laugh. Kind of a I can't believe that I'm watching this. Oh god, here comes the moment when there's like a weird uh commercial for Ziploc bags. Like yep. what is that about? With the uh with the magical horseshoe, which I like the like the coin annoyed me. Um, because it's like, it just sort of appears and it's unclear because of the sound effect, whether or not it actually is magical. Is there magic in this world or not? Is that why Deuce had a good start? Who knows? Because we never mention yeah. the horseshoe so again. Another perfect example of like, oh, this is just a completely different movie. And we get this one little flash of this other movie that deals in luck and this horseshoe. And, you know, all of this is very important to that movie. But unfortunately, this is the only scene from that movie that we are seeing here. Yes. <laughs> such yes. a weird movie. The, this, this film includes a sequence where they, sh they are, Ed is watching TV and he flips on and he watches a scene from friends yeah in this film and mm -hmm. marcel the monkey obviously which just reminded me that my god at some point in the mid 90s we were obsessed with putting animals into major roles you had your dunstan checks in you had just marcel oh, yeah. on the first two seasons of friends what was going on with that it's a weird time i don't know what was in the water in the mid 90s but we were all about it we loved it well it makes sense. It's because animals are fascinating to watch on film because they don't know that they're f being filmed. So they're just behaving. They're not doing something for the camera. We know it's why like when 
I mean, personally, when I see a dog on the television, I'm always just like immediately mm -hmm. looking at the dog because the dog isn't, yeah, it's like, isn't trying to game anything, isn't trying to, it's just so, like being an animal. It's why I love to see Max Scherzer on TV also. <laughs> same, same energy. That's, that's, that is a great point because that is the same with all cats in, mo in movies because, or TV shows, because you know, it's really hard to train a cat and you can just tell just that cat is just a half second away from just doing something that ruins the scene. This film could have been so much better with a real chimpanzee. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like I mean, it, impossible, suit, but also better. Yes. The person in a suit and the suit, like I'm sure cost a ton of money. The film budget was listed at $24 million. And I can only imagine that was 20 suit. of those million went to the making of the Ed costume. Three went to, three went to LeBlanc. And the rest was 20 just million for, for the whatever entire rest else of the was left. Yeah. Yes. You got the Nutty Nanner budget. <laughs> you got the... So important question. Have you already done rhubarb on your podcast? No. No. I I I mean, I think it is genuinely delightful, but I think it is perhaps bad enough that you could justify doing it. And I I just I'm excited for you. Oh, it's not great. Yeah, Don't... it's not great. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 de it's definitely bad enough that it could be considered bad. But it's it's yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it, a good time, and you'll get a lot of uh, a cat that you can tell is about mm. to fork some shirt up. You know, you can Amazing. definitely see that. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It's it's fun though. It's definitely fun. So, so this is this film comes in 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 1996. It's it's when it's released. Friends have been on the air for about two maybe three seasons at this point how mickey mantle how? had been dead for less than a year <laughs> less <Yep>. than a year <laughs> he's literally rolling in his grave as this movie mentions him. how how bad is matt leblanc's agent that he lets him do this how, what what happened there because that the must question. have hurt him later on in like negotiation i know eventually the friends cast made like like 10 million an episode or something like that but like this one was kind of the film that you could be like, well, we could, we'll have to maybe put a little bit more money into Jennifer Aniston's, you know, paycheck. And maybe we're, we're probably okay. We're not going to lose Matt LeBlanc to the, to the movies. If Ed is the one thing it's years later that he actually becomes, you know, episodes becomes like a kind of a re return to form. But how, how do you let a rising comedic star take this role, this script? Yeah. Like there's no Why way is this the script. script? Is good. Yeah, yeah, this well there must have been more scripts for Matt. LeBlanc. I recall from uh Eric's original research uh when we did our podcast that Matthew Perry was also up for this same role. Oh my god. Right. Which means like there's a there's a competition for every single terrible role in every single terrible script that exists. And I agree with your question, Darby, but like the answer is it's just freaking hard to be an actor. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Like yeah. you just you get stuff all the time where you're like, I'm not compelled by this, but uh, I need to keep working. And I I understand that you feel like, oh, well, somebody who's on such a successful show is friends. Like, why do they feel like they need to do a movie on their hiatus? And it's because 
you just feel like you need to do a movie on your hiatus and not every single movie would line up with the break that you have from your television show. Yeah, I just I, I wish wanna, those were my problems. I want to believe in a world where Matt LeBlanc, even if he's not a superstar yet because of Friends, it's still a successful show that is very popular. Like, I want to believe in a world where he had a, he had choices other than Ed, like I wouldn't know what that other choice was. Maybe maybe there was a worse choice. He was on. Oh gosh, that's terrifying. Hard to believe. Um, like I and I think that he's it, like he he's on the record in a very sort of like diplomatic like oh you know like I read it and it seemed like it could be a fun family film whatever like and who knows maybe maybe there's a version of the script out there like on yeah. the page where it seems like maybe it could work uh, or work better than what we saw but like I I don't know <laughs> I could certainly see a manager telling an actor and I have not had this conversation with my manager that it's great to do a family film because then you form fans when mm. they are very young and like then you become a part of their childhood and like you think about the way that for example we all feel about the people who were in like the cult classics of our youth and like how large in stature they are to us i could see a manager making that argument about like in this hiatus we really need to find a family film for you you know you you've been cornering this niche but you've got to branch out into like this kind of a market and so we're going to find any family film and this was the one that they found yeah. that like lined up with the break that he had. Um, An yeah, argument it's... could be made of the timing of this is that it did come in that era where we had rookie of the year. We had mm. little big league. We had the original Sandlot, like the 94, 95 timeline of those movies. Angels in the outfield remake was also 94, I think. 94. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that yeah. there was a point in time where baseball movies geared towards the younger audience with maybe a little bit of gravitas were the thing and i think that they were they didn't i mean none of those movies did astronomical financial numbers um but they were very popular at the time and i think there is something to be said that somebody probably went to matt and is like hey you know do you, this is the guy who wrote the sandlot and you know that movie was just enormous and you know the, there's a big a demand for baseball movies right now and we really think that you could do this and oh also by the way there's some chimpanzee in it um yeah. but it's true like especially like where where he fits in with like the friends you know with the friends you could also see someone making a case like you've got this kind of like goofy sweet but charming even though you're like a little dumb sort of like vibe going with joey like what a way to pivot by being the sort of like lead in this film who's sort of like sweet but it's also silly but like there's a romance element like i don't i don't know like i guess you can see a, a a pitch in there but i have to Plus, think all the so cool kids are doing baseball movies right now so <laughs> right, you just right, you right. have to darling yeah it, i mean it must be some combination of those plus i've really i have to i have to believe that some version of the script read better than what the final product that we saw that we received it must, yes. yeah. it must be and i i think actually actually you made a really good point though too is the Sandlot came out in 1993. This is the next script that gets produced from David Mickey Evans. So 
it is possible you can be like i don't get this script like matt could have been like i this i this script seems terrible but like but I, you know the sandlot you know who would who would have thought like a 1950s throwback about a bunch of kids just wandering around and it like you know small town america would work and everybody would love it but it did so this guy must yeah. have you know that I, I i can see the the momentum of the idea of like i don't know why this was a hit but this guy's got another script you're on it and yeah and there's plenty of stuff in the sandlot that you're like wait so this group of kids lose a single baseball and then build a series of increasingly complicated machines right. to try to recover it and like where you could be like well that that seems silly but the filmmaking is good enough that it it works yeah. in in that film um yeah yeah it's a good point rough rough stuff poor poor everybody involved in ed that that had to that that didn't that didn't deserve it that i feel like this saying. movie single-handedly murdered matt leblanc's film career it was this and then he oh. had he had lost in space which which kind of bombed though i i didn't that was a big swing i actually enjoyed how and you had a you had some just crazy bonkers good actors in that just doing turn up to 11 so but yeah it, it, he had two kind of commercial not great kind of big flops. did he fare the worst out of the the friends to not very good movie pipeline <laughs> <laughs> Schwimmer didn't do very much, and he hasn't done a ton TV wise either. He like gets LeBlanc has at least had he's into directing, which yeah. which has really made him strong and yeah. a very good cameo in Curb. Yeah, so, and he's he also like has he's like a Chicago theater guy, and I think mm -hmm. also kept up those uh, like professional duties to some extent as well, like with his company. The two of them are probably the ones that we see the least of. But like LeBlanc definitely had like a comeback swing with his TV mm -hmm. career. Yeah, um, which is very now, good. Then. Like which is episodes very, and then what good. is it like Man on Top or whatever that he did have another sitcom come through. So, I mean, he's definitely continued to work. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think anybody's really failed. Yeah. Lisa Kudrow also literally had the comeback. Yeah. <laughs> it was just yeah. fantastic. Yeah. She did Rami and Michelle, which became kind of a cult classic in mm -hmm. and of itself. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Really good stuff. All right. Yeah. And Matthew Perry like made some meh stuff, but also some decent stuff. Mm -hmm. The whole nine yards is not bad. Right. I mean, Sol I I would go to the mat for uh that Salma Hayek uh Vegas baby movie. What was that one? Was Fools that? Rush in. Fools Rush in, yeah. Fools Rush in, yeah. That was cute. I liked that one. It's probably terrible in retrospect, but I liked it at the time. But I like that you'd go to the mat for it. Yeah. <laughs> this I would. I would say of its era, it was a quality rom-com that under a 2022 rewatch would not hold up, but most of them don't. Most uh, of them don't. I recently rewatched The Wedding Planner, and wow, is that movie just top chock-a-block full of problematic um, I don't understand why anybody likes it. It's really bad. One thing my wife mentioned about this film that I found actually really nail on or hammer on head of nail. Uh, this is the type of film that Joey Tribbiani stars in. Like this is the type of, this is exactly the oh, like gosh, Joey comes yes. back and is like, how was that monkey movie you did, Joey? It's and so meta. Yeah, this is, <laughs> so it, to me, after she said that, I was like, okay, this movie is suddenly a little bit better now that I'm like, that's not Matt LeBlanc. That's Joey Tribbiani. That almost makes me want to rewatch it with that as my like 
like mental. Then, then you'll be one. It. You'll be one time away from reaching the Ellen and reaching Eric. the Ellen and Eric level. Yeah. Yeah, and then you just got to do it one more time, and it's all gonna just open up like a beautiful flower. Of. <laughs> Like the galaxy brain version of watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Well, thank you guys so much for subjecting yourselves to it for a third time uh, and really truly understanding the beautiful cosmic insanity of it at last. Um, well, and thank you for, for going on this <laughs> journey. <laughs> I think it costs more the first time than the yeah, third time. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, that's, it you know, the great tragedy and consolation of human existence is that you get used to anything, even <laughs> yeah. watching Ed. So it, it does chip uh, yes, away your I soul think, a little the first time you see it. It does. Yeah, your pain was more acute than ours this time, I think. You know, we've, we've got to... We've got some like scar tissue around it, essentially. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for uh, subjecting yourselves to our uh, most ridiculous and absurd various tools for the uh, for No, this, this is wonderful. This crossover episode has been on our wish list for quite some time. Um, so if anybody's listening to this on our podcast, please go and add take me into the ball game to your uh, subscriptions wherever podcasts are found. Uh, because it's tremendous and Ellen and Eric do a great job and uh, probably do not have mental breakdowns about milk bread cups. Um, as we Oh, did. we have all kinds <laughs> of mental breakdowns, though. Yes, we absolutely do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all take me into the ballgame listeners should be checking out who's on worst for that also very reason. This is a wonderful <laughs> podcast with lots of good baseball movie content. And, uh, you know, the the thing about bad baseball movies is that they're they're usually pretty fun to talk about. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Bad baseball movies do tend to make funnier podcasts than good baseball movies, uh, as we can say, since we do both kinds. Um, <laughs> but yes, yes. Ashley, Darby and Brett, thank you so much for uh, this, for joining us in the multiverse of baseball movie uh, nutter bananas. Oh, thank you guys so much. We'll have to get together and watch an actual good movie um, next um, to yeah. kind of bounce back. So our audience won't know what to expect uh, because that only happens for us by accident. And um, for you guys, it might be nice to be able to watch or rewatch something that isn't uh, absolutely terrible. Yeah, it, it, that's good too. Yeah, yeah, we like we like you know sometimes sometimes the worst make for the best episodes, but it's nice to have a a, a pleasant experience as well. <laughs> Indeed, thank you so much, friends. And that was it, our first ever crossover episode. Uh, and hope you guys will let us know how you liked it, uh, because we do have a couple more big ideas featuring multiple members of the D-Rays Bay crew and others for certain special movies in the future. So if there is a movie or a podcast or a special guest you would like us to have on the podcast with us, uh, please don't hesitate to let us know in the comments on the article on DRaysBay.com or mention it to us on Twitter. So with that, thank you guys so much for listening to this very special episode. We had so much fun recording with Take Me Into the Ballgame. And if you are not already subscribed to them on your favorite podcast, 
podcast subscription service, please do go give them a follow uh, as Eric and Ellen are absolutely wonderful. And if you're not subscribed to us, what are you doing? I don't even know how you got to this podcast. Give us a subscription link click i don't know how that works give us a rating five stars you know we'd love to see it and uh we will see you guys next time thanks so much bye